0: Come with me too to Exodus chapter 28. And I will just read one verse uh, from Hebrews 3, verse 1, which was our starting point. In part one of this uh, short series we're going to do. So I'll read from Hebrews 3, chapter 1, while you turn to Exodus 28. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the Apostle and High Priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him and all, who appointed him as Moses was also faithful in all his house. Consider the Apostle and High Priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. We're trying hard to get that up, are we? Yeah. All right. Could we? What are we like for lighting? I just want to put an illustration up on the screen here. Uh, it's not the best one, but I'm not exactly sure what we're like uh, just for lighting. If I do that, that's okay. You can all see that? All right. It's, it's, uh, it really is not the best illustration. Uh, I've searched so hard to try to find something that represents the high priest garments, and that's the best I could come up with at the moment. If I find a better one, uh, then I'll try to uh, change that for you. But it's enough for us for, uh, at least in this part, uh, to talk about what we want to share with this night tonight. Now, one of the great joys in reading the Bible is finding out more and more about our Lord Jesus. Uh, I think that many Christians uh, believe that the only way to know more about Jesus is to read the four Gospels. And absolutely for sure we need to read the four Gospels and become very acquainted with them because they're thrilling to read. And they do divulge to us many wonderful things about the Lord Jesus Christ. Gives us lots of insights into his life on earth. However, there are many rich veins of gold to be mined in the Old Testament that refer to Christ also. And so, we began in part one to have a look at the high priest's garments, and I want us to read some of the less well-read passages in Exodus and other places as we go on that tell us much about the Lord Jesus. Augustine speaking about the Old and the New Testaments, comparing them, you remember what he said, that the old is in the new concealed, and the new is in the old revealed. The new is in the old concealed, I should say, and the old is in the new revealed. If we did not have the book of Hebrews, we would be at a loss to understand much of what the symbolism of the high priests and the tabernacle and the feast, what they were actually talking about. But thankfully, the book of Hebrews is in there and it enlightens us and shows us lots of things. In part one, we looked at the linen coat of the high priest, which is here. You can see the sleeves, and you can see at the bottom, the white. The linen coat of the high priest. Now, I'm not even going to recap on that at all. If you really want to know about that, you can pick up a CD. By the way, those of you, I think Tessa, uh, perhaps Becky, those of you who were looking after the kids this morning, If you see some of the guys after the service, they'll give you a CD of that. And uh, maybe later on in the week, you can familiarize yourself with, because that sort of leads into everything else we're talking about. Anybody else, you want to get one of those, it's only a pound. Pick one up, order one. Or if you want a DVD, order that, see Johnny. And uh, that'll help you to catch up. I'm trying my hardest not to keep recapping everything, because then that takes up too much of our present time. And so we found that the linen coat spoke much... Of Christ's righteousness. And of course whenever we're speaking about Christ. In these uh, garments. Then we're also reminding ourselves. That we too are priests unto God. And so some of this is applicable. Even to our own lives. And part two we're going to talk about. The robe of the ephod. uh, With its pomegranates and golden bells. Which are round about. So this is the robe of the ephod. This blue garment, see how I got that right? I checked it out, didn't I? So this is blue garment, and you can't see it very well there. I'll try to get better illustration, but around the bottom are the pomegranates and the golden bells. So that will be the thrust of what we're going to share about tonight. Now this is the first of the high priest garments that was worn by the high priest that was not worn by... Uh, the usual run-of-the-mill priest, could we say. This was exclusively his. Now, the robe was different than the coat. We found out this morning that the Hebrew word for coat comes from a root word meaning to cover, and that's what it was designed to do, to cover. And if you get the CD of this morning or listen to the podcast, you'll find out uh, what we talked about in the covering. Now... The robe was different. The robe was ever a symbol of authority and position. The robe was a symbol of office. Now we see that in everyday life today. If anybody's ever been to the high court, uh, you would have noticed the barristers in what they call their silks, uh, their robes, their gowns, and of course the, the judge sitting on the bench with his robe His gowns. Any of you who have ever uh, passed your exams and graduated from university, uh, no doubt you'll have a photo on your mantelpiece of your robe and your gown on uh, to let people know that you had uh, graduated from a particular university. Uh, The mayoral office of any city, uh, particularly here, you've got opportunity if you so desire uh, to wear robes. Not all of them do. A lot of them just uh, content themselves with the, with the mere chain, uh, but they can wear robes. Uh, we know that a number of denominations, uh, their ministers and their priests, uh, they wear robes uh, to denote their office. And depending, uh, I suppose, which office, whether you're a, a, a minister or a priest or a barrister or whatever, or a bishop, uh, the robes will differ and vary depending on the office that you stand in. And so, Jesus in his earthly ministry, he wore no ecclesiastical robes whatsoever. But what these robes that the priests wore externally, what they symbolized externally, Jesus Christ epitomized internally. What they represented on the outside, Jesus lived and breathed that on a daily basis. And every child of God is now in the office of being a priest unto God. The Scriptures very clearly share that. We talked about that this morning. And so we are to offer up our sacrifices unto Christ. And so we, we need to wear, spiritually speaking, we need to wear the robes that dignify our office as priests unto God. And so if if somebody could take somehow the veil from off us, and, and, and somebody could see us as God sees us, then tonight you would be wearing robes of righteousness because you're a priest unto God. And we, we, we found this morning that we have received Christ's robe of righteousness. The uh, Bible talks about being clothed with the Spirit. And so there are spiritual clothes that we wear as priests unto God. Now robes also speak of royalty. Well, Jesus, our high priest, did not come after the order of Aaron. We found he came after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was not only a priest, but he was also a king. And we finished in part one saying that Christ will come back as king of kings and lord of lords. Aaron could never be a king. He could never function in that office, but Jesus Christ was both. Not only Is he a priest, but he is a king? Isn't it interesting that just before his crucifixion, in Matthew 27, verse 28 and 29, here's what it said, they stripped him and they put on a scarlet robe and they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they had no idea really. It was fun to them. It was mockery to them. But he actually is King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, I want us just to read in Exodus 28, just to remind you. In verse 31 it says, You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. And there shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. And it shall have a woven binding all around its opening like the opening in a coat of meal, so that it does not tear. So that's that part right there, around there. So that it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates, of blue, purple, and scarlet, all around its hem, and bells of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem, hem of the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron and as he ministers, and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, that he may not die. And then in Exodus thirty-nine, just a couple of verses here, Verse twenty-two. He made the robe of the ephod of woven work, all of blue. And there was an opening in the middle of the robe like the opening in a coat of mail with a woven binding all around the opening so that it would not tear. And they made on the hem of the robe pomegranates of blue, purple and scarlet of fine woven linen. And they made bells of pure gold. And they put the bells between the pomegranates on the hem of the robe all around between the pomegranates, a bell on a pomegranate, a bell on a pomegranate all around the hem of the robe to minister in as the Lord had commanded Moses. So there is a description of this beautiful, intricately woven uh, blue robe that the high priest was uh, to wear. And so notice here that this robe was to be all of blue. Now blue was a color that was prevalent uh, in both the high priest's garments and in the, the furnishings and the coverings of the materials of the tabernacle in the wilderness, whenever they would have to move all the furnishings and move the whole camp, then they had to be covered over with a covering of blue. So blue was something that was very prevalent in all the designs and all the materials. Now, this is symbolic of two things about Christ. It speaks of two things. It speaks of grace and it speaks of divinity. Speaks of grace and it speaks of divinity. Speaking of grace, rolling, dark, threatening, ominous, thunderous clouds speak of judgment. Whenever we look up at the sky and there's rolling, thunderous clouds and lightning, we're reminded of judgment. Sometimes it's a bit scary. Not everybody likes thunder or lightning. The hide. Blue skies, on the other hand, they lift our spirits. They gladden our hearts. Reminds us of God's goodness and God's grace. Whenever the sun broke through on those dark rain clouds and suddenly there was a rainbow spanned across the earth, Noah knew at that point that God's judgment Had passed over, that God's judgment was finished on the earth. And Noah truly did find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. John 1 17 says, Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He epitomized grace, He was most gracious in word and in deed. People wondered at the gracious things that come out of his mouth, the gracious words that he spoke, and the wonderful acts that he did. Notice here it says, it was all of blue. Everything that we are as believers, all that we have, all that we do, all that we are, all that we own, it's all of blue. It's all of grace. It's all of God's wonderful grace. Blue skies, the heavens, remind us of the Lord's divinity. He is the Lord most high. He is higher than the heavens. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 7. Let me read it to you, verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. This speaks of Christ's divinity. And so all of these things, the materials, the colors, the wearing of it, all of them graphically illustrate the nature, the character, and the ministry of Christ. And as I said this morning, that's why the Holy Spirit has spent so much time given so much of the Bible over to describing these things that most people just flick over. And say, well, that's Old Testament, and that was for the Jews, and that was from the in the in the in the days long ago. But if we could only see that it's talking about Christ. Now notice here that it had an opening for the head to go through. And this opening here, it had to be especially woven, it had to be reinforced almost as if it was a a, coat of me, a chain meal. I mean, that's how strong it was. Heavily reinforced. And the reason it says very clearly that it would not tear. That it would not tear. It could not be stripped off. Ever since the Lord Jesus walked upon the face of the earth, man has always tried to strip him of his divinity always. And it's happening in this very generation also. His enemy said, the Pharisee said, we know who he is. He's the carpenter's son. <laughs> That's all he is. He's Joseph's son. He's not the son of God. He's just the carpenter's son. The thief on the cross said, if you be the son of God... Save yourself and us," the Roman soldier said. "If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross." In mockery, Satan said twice in the temptations, "If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be made into bread. Throw yourself off the pinnacle; surely the angels will catch you." Jesus asked his disciples. Who do men really say that I am? Every cult that there's ever been, every false religion has always ever stumbled over the divinity of Christ. When you strip it all down, when you go into the nuts and bolts of all cults and false religions, when it comes to talking about Jesus Christ, there's a denial of His divinity. They deny his virgin birth, they deny his physical resurrection, they deny his sonship. And today we have men in pulpits, trained seminarians who ought to know better, who deny the sonship of Christ. This robe was seamless, it was all in one piece. It was intricately woven. The best of artisans, with the help of God's Spirit who came upon them, were able to make these things. And Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Seamless. We mentioned a little bit this morning about His humanity and His divinity. Wonderfully knit together as one. Seamless. And by the way, still is today. (laughs) Has not divested himself of his humanity. Yes, his body is glorified. It's a resurrection body. It's a glorified body, but still a human body. Still you can see the nail prints in his hands. Glory to God. Paul said that Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.16, Without controversy... Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. And no matter who tries, no man, no cult, no religion can truly strip Christ of his divinity. He was, and he is, and he always will be the Son of God. Amen. And then it tells us that round about the hem of the high priest's blue robe were these pomegranates. Now, you know a pomegranate a little fruit. It said here they're made of linen. And the word linen here is in italics, so it wasn't there in the original. And some say that they were made of wool. We're not sure what they were made of, but they were made of material. And they were finely made, expertly made. And it says they were made of blue and purple and scarlet, and between each one was a golden bell. Pomegranate, a bell, a pomegranate, a bell, a pomegranate, a bell, all the way around. Pomegranates very obviously speak of fruitfulness. The golden bells speak of testimony. Fruitfulness reminds us of our walk, testimony reminds us of our talk. And her walk and her talk ought to be the same. A bell, a pomegranate, a bell, a pomegranate, a bell, a pomegranate, all the way round, evenly. When Jesus walked this earth, his talk was no different than his walk. His walk was no different than his talk. He walked the walk and he talked the talk. And one of the biggest criticisms, one of the biggest complaints against us as believers is that we're hypocrites. That we talk, but we don't live what we talk. Particularly in front of unbelievers. Because they watch us, don't they? But Jesus wasn't like that. Sure he wasn't. And so the spacing of these pomegranates and bells. Evenly spaced. Another thing they did. They they prevented the bells from clashing together. They would tinkle against the pomegranates. But they wouldn't clash together. So there would be no unharmonious sounds coming from them. That would be melodious as the high priest would walk and wouldn't be clashing. And the Bible talks about that too, doesn't it? Paul says if we have not love, what are we? Clashing bells and cymbals that clash make a lot of noise. But it doesn't mean a thing. Somebody says empty cans make the most noise and I suppose that's true, isn't it? <laughs> and so, here was a harmony within the bells and the pomegranates. There was a harmony in the testimony. There's a harmony in the testimony of this word tonight, is there not? There's a harmony. This book These 66 books were written by about 40 different men in three different languages over a period of some 15 to 1,600 years. Most of them never met each other, lived in different generations, had different professions, different jobs. Some were shepherds, some were kings. And yet... There's no question about it. There's a harmonization in all of the 66 books. There's a central theme. theme runs from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Now, we who have eyes to see, believers, we can see that. One picks up the Bible and has no idea what it's about. Some academics pick it up and try to make it a history story. but We pick it up and we can see God's plan of redemption all the way from Genesis right through to Revelation because it's harmonious. One writer said you should read the Bible like you read no other book. And you should read the Bible like you read any other book. How do you read any other book? You start at the beginning and you go all the way to the end, don't you? You don't pick up and just go to the middle of it, unless it's a reference book. But if it's a story, you start in the beginning and you go to the end. But then he says you should read it like you read no other book, because it's like no other book. Because this is God's inspired word to us. People say, Oh, what about all the contradictions? There's no contradictions in it. It's people's ignorance makes contradictions of the book. Everything can be explained without contradiction. It's harmonious. No wonder the Bible says that men of old wrote this book as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean to say they understood every time they wrote something down that they felt, oh, the Spirit of God's coming, I better write this down. But the Spirit of God oversaw the whole thing, everything that's there. It was because they were moved, whether they felt it or not or knew it or not, they were moved by the Holy Spirit to write it down so that we could have it today. Over 3,800 times in this book it says, and God said. So it's not like any other book. So you can be confident when you look at this book and you begin to read this book and you begin to live by this book, you can be absolutely confident that it's true, that it's right. Historically, geographically, spiritually, literally, everything about it is right. And if it isn't, then we can't believe it. You know, one of the one of the big hot potatoes today is the belief that Adam and Eve was just a story. It was just metaphorical, just a story to, to teach us something. That they didn't really exist. But they did exist. Yes. And when you read the New Testament, you see the Apostle Paul, he even called Jesus the last Adam. So if there wasn't a first one, there wouldn't be a last one. But that's the modern mind who's trying to somehow pick holes in this perfect, inspired, infallible Word of God. And they won't be able to do it. Somebody says this is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. and It really has. Every generation has attacked this book and it's still here today. So the testimony of this book is harmonious all the way through. And fruitfulness... And testimony is what God wants to see in our lives. All of us ought to bear fruit at something. All of us have got testimony. All of us can speak and testify of the goodness of God in our lives, of the mercy of God in our lives, that He saved us, that He's washed us in His blood, that we're fit for heaven by His mercy and grace. That's a testimony. All of us has got that tonight that's saved. Amen. The high priest wore this blue robe of the ephod with its golden bells and pomegranates when he served in the holy place. Whenever he was in the holy place, and he would be trimming the wicks of the seven-branch candlestick, he would be tending the incense at the golden altar, making sure the table of the showbread was there. And whenever he was walking around doing all of that, the people outside could hear the melodious, harmonious tinkling of those little golden bells. And as long as they heard those bells tinkling, they knew that their priest was serving them in the holy place on their behalf before a holy God. And they also knew that God had accepted his service on their behalf because he was still alive. It says that he do not die, it says. And so they would stand and they would listen keenly to hear those bells. And hearing those bells, they knew that God had accepted him on their behalf to minister in the holy place. Right now, as we said this morning, Christ is before the throne of God. Make an intercession for us, being our advocate in service for us. Can you hear the tinkling of the bells? Can you hear the testimony of this word that declares that? Every time you read about Jesus, you're hearing the tinkling of those bells because He's in the glory right now and He's actively serving us. (laughs) Praying for us, blessing us, interceding for us before the Father's throne. Aren't you glad for that? The pomegranates... We're a blue, purple, and scarlet. We already said that the blue could speak of divinity, the blue skies, higher than the heavens. Scarlet speaks of his humanity. Adam, the first Adam, Jesus was the last Adam, but the first Adam, his name means red. Because God made him from the dust of the red earth of Eden. And Jesus, the last Adam, took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now whenever you mix blue and scarlet together, what do you get? You get purple. That speaks of Christ as our mediator, God and human flesh coming together in one. The blue and the scarlet becomes the purple. There is one mediator between God. There's the blue and man. There's the scarlet and that's Jesus Christ. There's the purple. And so all of these things are are speaking beautifully and wonderfully about our Lord Jesus Christ. And if the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see, then I promise you that these chapters in Exodus and in Leviticus, you read through your Bible and you come to Leviticus, you can hardly wait to get through it. And yet you don't understand so much of it speaking of Christ. And when you begin to understand that, it becomes a different book. Hebrews 12, 24 says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable number of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Ah. Thank God for a mediator. Thank God for one who could take the hand of God because he was God. He could take the hand of man because he was man and bring us together. Is the only one who could do it. Job says, oh, that there was an umpire. Oh, that there was a days man could become between us and God. How prophetic was that? Well, Christ is our days man. He's our umpire. He is our mediator that has come on our behalf. And he perfectly understands how we feel. And he perfectly understands how God's feel. And he perfectly understands the holiness of God. And he perfectly understands the sinfulness of men. And only He could bring us together. Glory to God. So all of these wonderful, beautiful, intricate, beautifully woven garments, over the next couple of weeks we'll look at the rest of them. All of them are talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. So I would encourage you to read those. uh, and, And be encouraged by what you read And just see more and more and more about Jesus. Because the more you see about Him, the more you love Him. The more you appreciate His ministry and what He's doing for us today. Glory to God. Let's pray. Lord, we just take these moments. And we see You standing at the right hand of the Father ever living to make intercession for us. So no wonder we can come boldly to that throne of grace and prayer because we have got one who stands there on our behalf, who bids us enter in. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are, for all that you've done, for all that you are doing, for all that you will yet do on our behalf. We bless you. And Lord, help us as priests unto God to live right, to walk right, to talk right, to do right, to be right. And to be a reflection. To be a reflection of your glory and your beauty. Because these vestments were to bring glory and beauty. So help us, Lord, to do that to fully honor you, that others may look at us and see something, something of Christ in us to the glory of God in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.